Well, hello there. Hey now and mahalo in honor of all the greats. Woo-hoo-hoo! Jonathan, say hello to the people. All right, Uncle Willie. Here we go. Here we go. It's episode 83 on the Tone Junkie podcast. Hello, my friends. Spoiler alert. I have actually recorded episode 83 already. Twice, actually. More on that in a moment. But this is the real episode 83. The other ones are just forgotten episodes. Maybe they'll, ne- maybe they'll see the light of day. Or maybe they never will. I don't know. We'll find out. There's a ton going on in the Kemperverse, a ton going on in the Tone Junkie universe. Uh, I got some exciting stuff um, uh, that I'm ready to announce, uh, and some and some exciting stuff I'm not ready to announce. But man, let me tell you. And by the way, I always say man in the collective sense, like short for mankind, not like men, men of the gender, you know? I said dudes online. I was like, what's up, dudes? And then someone was like, um, assuming everyone's a man, uh, it's amazing. How, it's, it's incredible or something. Or they said, it's amazing how sexist the guitar community is. And my first thought was, is it really amazing? Like, are you actually amazed that a group of probably 95% men kind of view the whole group as men? Is that real? It's like, is that amazing? Like, there's amazing things in the world. You know what I mean? I saw a TikTok the other day of a humpback whale, like three feet from a kayaker. It was amazing. The whale was enormous. It was it was majestic and powerful. It was beautiful. It was like the culmination of all God's beauty in the ocean. This mysterious, gentle sea creature, and its eye just looked at you. It just took you in. That's amazing. Someone saying dudes on Facebook, if that amazes you, you should listen to the Tone Junkie podcast because this will literally kill you from excitement. (laughs) Don't watch Tone Junkie TV. You'll drop dead of a heart attack. Endorphin overload. (laughs) If, if, If someone saying dudes on Facebook is really amazing to you, you should turn on, you should Google cats TV. You see what those cats do. You're going to, whoa, okay? You're going to have an out-of-body experience, all right? It's going to be, well, it's going to be like Christmas morning, your birthday, uh, the first time you kissed somebody you loved, uh, uh, having a child, uh, and also like, uh, um, you know, uh, I don't know, taking a drug for the first time, like morphine or something. I don't know. What's a drug that makes you happy? Maybe morphine? People who seem to get relaxed with morphine. Morphine feels like a warm rush. Just a warm, a warm like wave goes over you. Mmm, morphine. Not a fan. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I I have never had morphine, but that sounds lovely. I'm not endorsing drugs, by the way. At least not, not illegal ones. Just coffee. I'm drinking coffee right now. And, uh... It's just quarantine coffee, so it came from my Keurig. Mm. Mm. Episode 83, we got a lot to talk about. Um, at the time this is coming out, you may have just seen that we started a new thing called Ask HW on the show. So we're going to do some Ask HWs on the podcast. Sometimes I'm going to film it, sometimes I'm not. Uh, I didn't get the camera out and I already started record on this podcast, so we're not going to film this one. But Ask HW, I think, just needs to be a little a little segment in the podcast and a little segment in places 
where we just straight up go, all right, let's talk about your questions. Because here's the thing. I get a lot of emails from people, and they're like, HW, this is my situation. HW, this is my situation. So this guy, Rob, just emailed me, and um, he said, you know, a bunch of stuff, and you'll see the video about it. It's just, just me talking, just like a podcast, but just me breaking down his question. But Lauren asked a question today. And so today, the first thing I want to do, and maybe this is a good way to make sure the podcast always have something about gear in it, right? We can answer, I can answer a question and that'll be my focus. Cause I've, I've almost already gotten into morphine. You know what I'm saying? I, mean, I can't even get through an intro without keeping my, my head on straight. You guys see why, um, you, you see why, uh, I mean, this should help you appreciate how hard I'm working to profile the world. Because if I get this distracted, just talking for four or five minutes, imagine when I'm trying to like meticulously profile an amp. Actually, for some reason, that really captures my attention. Uh, a lot of things capture my attention. Warzone is another thing that captures my attention. Um, gosh, what a great video game. I, you know, sometimes I get jealous of my kids because they're going to live in the future. I've talked about this before, but I just look at this video game and they're watching it and I'm just like, you don't even know. Like... My kids right now, they're experiencing video games. And like in one way, it's like, oh, um, yeah, they, they know all about early video games. They play. No, they play the best early video games. They play Mario and the new like remake of that Zelda one. Um, the island one. I don't remember what it's called. But you know what I mean? They're playing the very best. Listen, my kids are not suffering through Madden 97. Okay. I thought it was amazing. I look back and I go, what? What the heck? <laughs> I That was a waste of time. It, I mean, the games are terrible, you know? And then, then I'm looking at like, I think it was like Madden 01 on the GameCube. Oh my gosh, you guys, it's so bad. The graphics are so bad. And I remember, I remember in that one on the GameCube having that Madden game. And I remember having like a great play and then going back into the replay and make and being like, dad, check this out. Mom, check this out. Jen, check this out. That's my sister. Justin, check this out. He couldn't check it out because he was blind. Um, but <laughs> That's not a funny joke. But when you grow up, when you grow up with, with like a blind sibling in the house, you tend to make jokes. You always have to make light of your situation. My dad, one time I remembered... He told, he, uh, he has a business and, and he told an employee, he, he, listen, when you have a small business and you kind of, sometimes you have this guy, we called him a gopher. His name was Royden. And they asked, Royden one time asked, what is my job description or what's my job title? And my dad said, gopher. And he said, what? And he said, gopher, because you're the guy, when I point to something, I say, go for this, go for that, go for lunch, go for coffee, go, go. Go for my car and get me that thing out that I forgot to get in the parking lot. <laughs> and so Royden was like, no, Royden did some, I mean, he would, he would do all sorts of special projects. He would box stuff up, you know, he would like do the inventory. It was sort of all the irregular stuff. And so sometimes my dad would just be like, Royden, wrap all of these Christmas gifts for my kids, you know, <laughs> and, and, you know, Royden would box and ship stuff. And so we had all the boxing and shipping stuff there. So it wasn't crazy that my dad just brought in Christmas gifts for his kids and, uh, you know, said Royden box these and wrap them. Um, uh, maybe it's, I don't know. Does that sound, is that something you should do if you're giving someone a gift? I don't know, but my dad didn't. So he told Royden one time, 
where where the heck was I going with this story? A gopher. Wow, I've completely lost my train of thought. This is infuriating some of you um, right now. What the heck was I going to say about Royden and being a gopher? I, well, we don't edit this podcast, so the world may never know. I've completely lost my train of thought. I don't know if it's too much caffeine, too little caffeine. Uh, I got a good night's sleep, so that's strange. Mm-mm-mm. Oh, yeah, it was about blind jokes. So, anyway, Royden wraps these gifts, and I guess they were wrapped not well. And my dad picked up these gifts, and he goes, Royden, I've never been happy that my son was blind, and I'm not now. But the way you wrap these gifts, I'm happy he never has to look at them. <laughs> we we all died. I mean, we in that office, because I was working there. My dad was wrapping the gifts for like my sister. I'm sure, I'm sure he had a gift for me or something. But by that time, you know, if you get your kids something and they're kind of working for you, they're like of age to be an adult. Maybe get him a gift card or something. I didn't have like a big toy or something that he bought. But my brother was getting these big, these, um, uh, my brother was getting this like certain piano kind of toy that had like these sound effects that he really liked. And once he found one he liked, he would get really attached to it. And my dad would go on eBay and just buy 10, 15 at a time because they would get milk spilled on them. My brother would drool on them. And um, uh, we still have, this company went out of business. We actually became, believe it or not, we actually became a distributor for one of these toy companies because they wouldn't sell you direct 30 at a time. And even though they had them in stock, they were unable to tell us which stores would have them in stock. They said they couldn't tell us which stores they had shipped to. So we just said, could we become a distributor? And they said the minimum order quantity is 30 units. So my dad signed up, became a, a distributor. He's He just – I mean they were like, are you a business? So he just used his business. Even though he sold clothing, he just became a distributor. He just ordered 30 units and he, he would find them on eBay and everything. And they don't make them anymore. So – I think my brother's down to his last five or ten. One day the last one's going to break, and he's going to—he's uh, not going to understand really why we can't just hand him that toy anymore. Because I—I mean, he doesn't know that we've bought probably seventy-five of these toys in the past. They're not high quality, but he loves them. So anyway, he's been using them for the good part of fifteen years, twenty years. They stopped making them a long time ago. Um, man, maybe, maybe even more. My dad was probably buying these in the in the mid to late nineties. Anyway. We, we just about died laughing when my dad told this guy, Royden, that uh, he's never been happy that his son was blind, but he's happy he at least doesn't have to see the wrapping job that Royden did on these presents. It's so, so harsh. It's so cold. But man, you know, you develop a weird sense of humor in the face of, uh, in the face of trauma, I think is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So here was Lauren's question. Let's jump into some tone stuff. So um, on the video, the guy Rob asked the question, what what kind of camera should I get? And I helped break down his situation a little bit and how I think about it. But Lauren, um, Lauren straight up was just like, can you talk about Fletcher Munson curve? And since it wasn't really a question, I'm just going to talk about it on the podcast. So when I talk to Michael Britt, um, Michael goes like this. He goes, you know, he'll say like, you know, I don't consider my profiles to be very like 
warm sounding or overly warm sounding. He's like, that's just how I want him to sound. He's like, and a lot of my profiles I test and used at gig volume. So in his opinion, Fletcher Munson curve solves for why people think that M. Britt's profiles are overly warm. Now, I'm not talking about um, people who just go, this is a bit of a warmer sound. I think that's accurate. I think if you compare Tone Junkie and M. Britt, um, here's what's funny. At times, Michael and I have moved towards each other's sound. He has actually gotten a bit brighter as I've, as I've compared some of his original stuff that I've played a, a while ago. Like the before I started profiling, I was really into the Embrit stuff, and I st- and I still am. I'm not I'm not saying like oh I used I used to be that, but now I'm better. No, I'm just saying when I first got my Kemper, and I've told this story, I got the Embrit stuff, and I was like, whoa, this Kemper's a real thing. This is a real this is a real thing now. Um, and so I at times have been on the way, way brighter side. And, and, and maybe it's just what I'm into, what I'm using it for. Um, there's some packs in the past that maybe I now, when I listen to them, I go, that's too bright. I would have taken, and not too bright. It's too high end present. And actually I would cab shift. I would high shift it down now if I were to release it today. There's been other packs that I've gone. I'll give you a good example. The Deluxe 5e3 pack is a pack that to me, I said, man, this amp is actually brighter than I believe it's been recorded a lot of times. Like it's actually in person has a fendery top end to it. And it has this Alnico speaker. But what happens is that amp doesn't have a bottom end to compensate. So it's very difficult to get a scooped sound. So where that thing gets used a lot is if you want to understand what a deluxe 5e3 sounds like, check out the solo of Hotel California. Listen to that and really focus on the guitar sound. And what you're going to find is, oh, wow, this is a really like mid-rangey, squawky kind of guitar sound that really comes through the mix. It's not full sounding at all, but via the mic technique, because it's mid-rangey, they're getting rid of a too much high end via mic technique, going off axis, doing something. Something is getting you this sort of, um, your because te- in person and, and from that speaker, there's a lot more high end than it sounds like it's recorded with. So when you want that really squawky, lots of upper mids, but cut to the presence, cut to the air, which is a lot of times what you hear a 5e3 being used as, it's, it's just as much mic technique. It's just as much running it through a pre um, as it is something else. Now, a lot of people might not appreciate how much a preamp can really affect the sound. I'll tell you, the reason I use APIs and Neves primarily, I actually just got some other preamps I'll be talking about soon. I like them a lot. But the reason I like those two is to me, it goes like this. The Neve is nice and open and bright. The Neve is brighter. It's airier on the top end. And so it just sounds very natural. But there's a lot of times I'm going for a sound where I have enough of that. I want something a little more punchy, a little more hot sounding. It's not distorted. It doesn't distort. But the APIs sound hotter, punchier, and they don't have as open a top end. Now, they're not dark. 
But when you compare it to the Neves, you go, oh, this is like a greenback compared to something else. This is like open high-end presence. You know what I'm saying? So compared to a speaker that doesn't have it, this is, it it's everything's affecting the gear. So how does that relate to Fletcher Munson curve? Um, guitar is too loud usually when we listen to it. And so I think one of the reasons when you listen on a recording and you listen to stuff, you hear these thin sounds or these bright, it's because we're making the guitar work at these lower volumes, whereas at higher volumes, we have the high end come out more. And so how much do we need to compensate? You got to remember though, Fletcher Munson curve is really only relevant at one part of the signal chain. So try this on for size. Fletcher Munson curve is just this. Let me just say this in case people don't know. As decibels go up, humans get more and more sensitive to high end. So we hear we hear low volume sounds as darker than they are. The ear at lower decibel levels doesn't pick up as much of the higher end frequencies as it does as the decibels go up. So our ears become more sensitive to high end as it goes up, right? I don't know why this would be. I'm not sure what an evolutionary reason would be that we could have formed ears in this fashion. I don't know what God would have given us ears that sort of react this way for. There could be some purpose. It could have to do with being hunted by cheetahs or large cats. It could be that footsteps are, I don't know. It could be, I, I really have no idea. I have no idea. I don't know why some, la it, it could just be a byproduct of the construction of, of the eardrum itself. I don't know. It could actually just be that we're, I, I don't know, I really have no idea. For some reason, we want to be more sensitive to low pitches in the evening or in quiet so that we can, I don't know, maybe hear each other's voices. I have no idea. But what it means, I think, for dialing in guitar, I, there's two, two points I want to make about this. What it means for dialing in guitar is this. I would not worry about Fletcher Munson curve so much as I would check your EQ and tone at a reasonably hot level in your bedroom. Meaning there is a level where you get so low that I notice on FRFRs, it darkens the tone a lot and you need to raise it up to hear a lot of the high end. Some of that's Fletcher Munson. Some of that is just the cab itself is not operating correctly at a very low decibel level. So what I think to you, you should do to overcome Fletcher Munson is I don't think you need to overcompensate because overcompensating for Fletcher Munson curve also implies that human beings don't experience Fletcher Munson as a normal thing. Meaning you and I experienced Fletcher Munson, but it wasn't until someone figured this out that we started having a name for it. It was just our experience. Someone had to notice it, describe it, and show it. But similar to putting your hand in front of your face and hearing that and then taking it away, nobody ever listens to a sound uh, on, a, on a reverb that's so huge and so reverby and says, oh, what a bunch of malarkey. 
this isn't music, that sounds not natural. We don't identify in our heads as going, that's a natural reverb that could happen in real space or not. We just hear it and our brain tells us this is interesting or this is far away or this is dreamy. We interpret it that way. We don't have such an analytical approach in our mind. Like we are, our, our experience does not always have such an overly analytical approach that we begin to say things are good or bad. So given that, human beings experience louder things as having a different EQ to their ear than they do lower things in volume. So what does that mean? Does that mean that your position in the mix changes? Well, no, your position in the mix doesn't change. The overall experience of the listener changes. So the whole band is changing. So do you need to modify your tone for Fletcher Munson curve? If you do, I don't think greatly. And I think if you're someone who's playing on a Sunday morning or doing a recording, no. You need to only adjust your EQ for how it fits in that mix. And the loudness of that mix will have this variable called Fletcher Munson curve. Now, if you're in a studio, you're probably not going to experience a huge effect of Fletcher Munson curve in that you're probably not listening to your guitar in isolation, you know, very low. And then later you're listening to a mix very loud. In a studio, you're, you're listening to the music at, at a reasonable volume. You're, you're definitely, the producer's not going to sit there and listen to music themselves at a volume that damages their hearing. They have to sit and mix 10, 12 hours a day. So they're going to be greatly below the, um, the, the uh, decibel level for damage. They're actually going to be very conservative. Producers are going to be sitting around listening to music at 95 decibels, 92 decibels, all day long. Because... You can't crank so you can crank something up to get the artist excited, but you can't be sitting. Is that right? Let me check my numbers on this. What is the exposure of ninety-five decibels? I'm thinking whatever the number is that you don't hurt your ears at ten hours of exposure. Is that right? I might have been thinking of eighty-five. Excuse me. Uh, I, I might be thinking of eighty-five. Yeah, 85, I think, is what I was thinking of. Yeah, 95 is too high. Decibels and SLP. Yeah, because 90 is twice as loud as 70. 70 is no damage, no matter what. Okay, okay, no, no, I, I, this could be right. 90, okay, here it is. 90 decibels is likely damage in eight hours of exposure. So it's a motorcycle 25 feet away. I, by the way, whenever you look up decibels, it compares it to something, and it always gives you like a real-world example of a sound you may have heard to tell you. So it's like it's like a power mower, a power lawn mower, 96 decibels, a motorcycle 25 feet away, 90 decibels. For 97 decibels, this example is a newspaper press. I've what? When did I run into a newspaper press? <laughs> and then what's what's awesome is it also has. Um, for 97 decibels, a Boeing 737. What is the crossover? I just want to know this. What is the crossover of people in time? Like, what was it? Like, do you think from a 737 existed since when? The 70s? I don't know. The 80s? I don't know when they came out with a 737. Um, 
what is the cross section of people who in that like 20 year window, 30 year window, when the newspaper was the primary form of communication, there also was a 737. I mean, I mean, radio and TV were also a primary form of communication, but what is the cross section of people who are like very familiar with like, wow, that's as loud as a 747 or 737. Yeah. And that's as loud as a newspaper press. And they're like, oh, I get that. I get, I get both of those examples. <laughs> what a strange example. Like, I, I don't know. Anyway, uh, I said 95, 95 is too loud. 90 is eight hours of exposure. I believe I can't find this in front of me right now. 85 decibels is um, 10 or 12 hours of exposure before damage. So that is the level right there in that window is the level that we're going to listen to music in a studio because as long if if anybody who's been doing it a long time or any pro studio you go into, trust me that guy, if you ask them, how many decibels do you think the speakers are at right now? One, he could probably tell you from looking at a meter, but he'll know. He'll just be able to tell you this is 85. And he'll know that because he'll go, this is my working volume. I This is the volume I work at. So why is that important? Fletcher Munson curve for the guitar player should not, doesn't need to be viewed so much as uh, having an effect on your guitar tone that needs to be compensated for, unless you're talking about a live application. And I would venture to say this, in a live application, your need for more mids, less bass in the mix in a, in a live application where the mix is not going to be as clean, as spacey, as easy to hear, your need for mids are so, so ridiculously high that you're going to want to forget Fletcher Munson curve, forget adjusting first. Be conscious of it. Be conscious that whatever you dial in by yourself needs less highs, less lows, more low and upper mids. That's That's what I would do. That's how I would tackle it. And also understand that Fletcher Munchen curve is not going to apply to your guitar in isolation by itself in terms of the listener's experience because, this is the point I wanted to make earlier, the second point here, Fletcher Munson curve does not happen in isolation. It happens only one time in a signal chain, meaning the signal chain, and now let's include the full signal chain, and this is going to get weird for a minute, but now my signal chain, let's include that I'm going guitar, Kemper, um into a board, out of a PA, now now my context is the guitar's in a mix, and my signal chain is now going through air, through a person in the, in the room, into an ear, being heard by their ear, and then into their brain. You know what I'm saying? So this is where, interesting, this is where we end up... Um, This is where we end up just considering for a moment that, you know, sound, I don't want to say it doesn't exist, but look, if a tree falls in the forest, is anyone, does it make a sound? That is not an existential question, really. It, that is, that I, in, in a lot of ways, that is less an existential question about the existence of anything. And it's more a question about what is sound. I mean, it is. The point of that, if a tree falls in the forest, does it make a sound? The point is, is, is the sound real? Does it exist if it's not experienced? And the point is to show that they're, they're really, that what is existence? 
you know, you see something 10 feet away, does it exist? I mean, what you're seeing is actually light. What you're experiencing is actually light that has entered your eyeball. It, it actually is not really, I mean, it's, your, your brain is telling you you see something 10 feet away, but you, you, your eye is actually translating information that's in your eyeball. That's why we see solar systems or stars that don't exist anymore. We're, we can look at them and go, how far away is that? Oh, this many light years away. How long does it take a star to burn out? This long. And you're looking at a star and we know, we know from math, from science, we know that that star doesn't exist anymore. I'm literally looking into the past. Because if I right now could get there, can't get there. It's the speed of light, right? It can't go faster than the speed of light. What if you could? No. Um, if I got there right now, there wouldn't be a star. I'm seeing a thing. I, what I'm getting is old information. What I'm getting doesn't exist out there. It exists right here in my eyeball right now. Very weird. But... What does that mean for Fletcher-Munson curve? It means that we've got to consider Fletcher-Munson curves happening over the whole thing. So what does that mean? It means let the sound guy do his work. He's going to put some tailoring on your tone. But if you want to be really mix ready, be aware of it and adjust to the mix in your head. Adjust to the mix in your head, um, in your ears, in your in-ears, what you're experiencing. Adjust to that mix. Be there in the mix at the at the volume you're hearing. That's all you can do. And then you're gonna, we're going to have to let the sound guy adjust for Fletcher-Munson curve with what he's hearing because chances are it's not going to be your guitar that really needs the tweaking. If you've dialed in a really good guitar sound, we got to remember the guitar is not exceptionally high on the frequency range. Symbols and things are going to be, and the clack of the acoustic and the S's and the hisses on the vocals are really going to be the things that are that go up. So he's got to compensate for those. So how does it apply to dialing in your tone? Man, I'd say just, Lauren, I would say make those adjustments in the mix. Remember that Fletcher Munson is not going to hit your guitar in isolation. So make yourself pop in the mix at your decibel level. When the whole band's up and it gets rocking, don't damage your ears. Make yourself really cut at that decibel level. And the and and that's that, that's it. You can get the feedback of the sound guy. Because we're dealing with a lot of other things here when we go live. We're dealing with now audio digital converters at that which could be at the board. We're dealing with whatever pre they could put on you at the board, whatever just sonic signature is happening. Um and those things can easily, easily be be way greater than Fletcher Munson, uh, which may not be perceived by a listener and is going to be perceived on the whole overall sound, not necessarily like, oh, the guitar. And, and Fletcher Munson's not going to make a difference when you're talking about, I'm listening to a loud band, and then all of a sudden the guitar player turned on a, a boost of a couple decibels to sort of, for his solo boost. It, it, we're not going to be able to perceive, oh, his tone just got brighter, unless the boost makes you brighter. Does that make sense? Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. So, make sure you cut the mix. Fletcher Munson's going to work against you, but we already know that we need that our ear is already working against us in the sense of what we enjoy in a guitar in terms of full lows and high highs in isolation isn't always going to work in the mix there. And there you go. There you go. I guess that's been Ask HW for this this episode of the podcast. All right, what are we moving on to? Listen, we got a lot of exciting stuff happening in the Tone Junkie universe. Now, a lot of people just saw that last night I did something very special. I did an HW is Crazy sales event. And um, I hesitate to even advertise too much because here's what's going on. I have found a particular Holy Grail type amp that I believe will be the best Tone Junkie pack that we've ever that we've ever created. And I'll tell you why. HW, how can you say it's the best pack you've ever created if you haven't even created it yet? HW, how can you say it's the best pack you ever created? If you haven't even shot it, you haven't heard the amp. There is a particular Holy Grail type amp that I believe is so... is maybe the most important and maybe the most versatile amp ever, ever created out there. It's not a Dumble. Um... And I think it's just so important for music that I am looking to do something very grand. I am looking. I don't want to give this away, so I can't give it away right now. Because until I have these pieces acquired, I don't want to I don't want to put an expectation out there because there's a lot of different details and forms this can go with. But I am feeling the need to do something that I really can just hang my hat on and say, if you want to judge me, if you want to judge the quality of Tone Junkie, judge it by this. I'm looking for my coup de grace, my death blow. I want to make the thing that if I walked away, I would say, yeah, but I did it. I didn't profiling the world, you see, is the it is the panacea. It's the solution of everything. Christ is the solution for everything. But no, but but um the, the toned what is the what it what really solves everything for tone junkie? It's profile the world. HW, what's the best AC30? I don't know. Profile the world. HW, how are you going to keep coming up with new great profiles? Profile the world. HW, I want this amp, but a little different. Well, profile the world. If it exists, we'll find it. HW, I want all the amps. Well, profile the world. HW, are you bored? No. No, because profile the world. Michael Burt said to me, are you going to run out of amps? I said, no, profile the world. <laughs> you see? So that is, that is the principle. That's, that's, that's the mission statement. But, you know, you, 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 
It's one thing to build something that will be a library forever. You know, and that's what we're trying to do. And look, I'm not completely, I'm not, I'm not brand agnostic. I'm very loyal to the Kemper, but I'm not so loyal that if neural capture comes out, I mean, there's a reason I'm hanging on to all these amps, you guys, because I, I ordered two neurals. I ordered two uh, quad cortexes. If that capture tech is good and that's going to be somewhere where people go, now, I don't think that's going to replace the Kemper or anything like that. Kemper is here to stay. I believe Kemper is the best unit. Um, I tried Neural at NAM. I've tried Axe. Uh, I don't see anything as good as the Kemper out there. Now, what I tried of Neural was very early. So I, I'm, I can't judge that unit. But what I'm saying is the Kemper's not going anywhere. I'm not worried about that at all. And if they were going to go somewhere, well, then they'd make another, they'd make another unit. Look, if Kemper, if, if all of a sudden something else starts overtaking Kemper in terms of capture technology, Kemper 2.0 will just be this technology with a better interface. Like, do we all realize this? I get this question all the time. Is the Kemper 2.0, it's going to come out. Yes, a Kemper 2.0 will come out at some point. An HX Stomp version of the Kemper will come out at some point. A plug-in version of the Kemper will come out at some point. I guarantee it. Now, listen, I'm not saying anything that Christoph told me in confidence that I'm not supposed to tell you or something. I don't have any insider information. But I I have met Christoph multiple times. Uh, me and him have shared a drink. We've hung out, him and Thomas, and and, and, and I've met Burkhardt and all these guys. They, all these guys. They, they, everybody, Matt and uh, just everybody, Philip, it's all, they're great guys. These are not stupid people at all. People get on this thing where, oh, oh, they're so arrogant. He's not arrogant. He's just German. And he, and, and the thing is this, he's an older engineer. You guys, if, if you don't, if you haven't lived enough, you don't know people. My grandfather's an engineer. Let me tell you, I know a lot of. I know a lot of computer engineers. They all have this. None of them will tell you, I can build this amazing thing in, in 20 days. It'll be life-changing. Listen, listen, they've all been around the block. They've all worked on huge, large, incredible things. And they know this. If there is a problem, it will show up. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And when we fix one thing, it will create four other issues. Those issues may turn into problems or they need to be workarounds. And you need to use a, a huge amount of foresight. And that anything a user can do wrong, they will do wrong. It, it is So the excitement of like, we're going to get this done in two weeks, that's not in that skill set. These older engineers, you guys, they've built so much. They've been around the block. They've seen languages change. They are not, they're very measured. And everything they build, nothing is built in haste. And it's always built with a long-term perspective of anything I do now has implications for what I'm able to do in the future as long as I'm using this code, this tech. The implications for the future are always there. Coding is like chess. 
with an aggregate scorecard. You can play the best game today, but if you played a terrible game three moves ago, you can't win the championship. You might not even win the game. You, you, you may have to go back and do it all over again. You, you could ruin everything. Or you just, or not even ruin everything. You, you may have to go back to square one. And beautiful code is something you can build on in the future. Beautiful code is something that's thought out and neat and clean and robust in its, in its ability, but elegant in its authorship. Ugh. It's art, you guys. So when you see people and they go, oh, oh what the heck's, what the heck's taking so long with all this? It's like, Look, man, what do you, what do you want? Okay. Every time people list for me everything I want, I go, I found all that in the Kemper. So, I, what do you want? You want the you want to you want to drive you around as well. I mean, I, so look, this is what I'm saying. If Neural or now Cliff Cliff from Axe says he's got something better than Kemper profiling tech, and he's waiting for his patent to clear. Great. I Cliff, I hope you got it, man. I'd be honest. I don't know Cliff from Adam. Every time I hear Cliff go make public statements, I go, this is a guy who just needs a little bit of PR advice. He talks about other people's technology that I don't think he knows about. Uh, he makes sweeping statements about it. Let me just say that. He might say something that's accurate, and then he'll say something that's inaccurate. He, Cliff talks about mid-range compression in the Kemper. That's what I hear. But then he goes on and says, Kemper has seven core amp models. You can hear them when they're loaded up. Listen, I'll tell you, that's a bunch of malarkey. What you're seeing being loaded up is the seven default amps that are listed if you're in the Kemper, well, I'll turn on my Kemper just so I can tell you exactly where it is. It's because in the when the Kemper ships, there are seven amp amps that it comes with, and then you toggle over and you're in and you're in the profiles that you've loaded. And even Kemper made amps are the ones that you've loaded. It's because there's seven that I believe are in there that are captures. It, it includes the crunch mode, which. Christoph has told us is a capture of a specific other modeler, which is just like a, a, pro, a capture they made, a profile they made when they were just testing the unit, when they were building it. They said, here's this capture. Now let us use this and we will, we will build on EQs and we will build on reverbs and delays, but we need something to test it with and we'll see how our EQs work so that we can dial in the sweep or the cue of our EQs of our this. So let me just grab this this capture. Now that has become the default anytime you're in performance mode and you pull up a profile, it defaults to this crunch mode. People say, I love this. What is it? And he says, well, this was just like not meant to be anything special, just meant to be like a capture of, um, just meant to be like a capture of all of the sort of, uh, just anything, you know? So look, I'm going to, I'm going to go into my profile. I'm going to, Okay, here we go. I, when I go into a profile and I hold down the amplifier section, I have I can pull up. Two, it defaults to this. The, the The soft button has two options: presets, or it has rigs. When you hit presets, 
Yeah, here it is. It says eight. Sorry, it was eight, not seven. When you hit presets, it says browse amplifier module from rig. Why? Okay, what does that mean? You're looking for amplifier modules that are contained in a rig. We always call them profiles. Profiles are... It, profiling is what the Kemper does, but when it's done with the profile, it creates a rig. The rig has stomps and effects associated with a profile. Look at it this way. The profile is the stack, right? The profile is the amp, the EQ, and the cabinet. They're the captures of an amp. Okay, well, the Kemper actually calls that a stack. But a rig, or what, what I often call profiles, and I say, here, download my profile pack. Well, that's actually a rig pack. Right, Because the rig always has stomps and effects before and after it. And there's always something there. Even if it's blank, that just means the rig has an empty slot for stomps, for effects. But this is a rig. If you go, now, here's my point. Go into any profile, hold down amplifier section, okay? Now, move the browse knob. Move the browse knob, and now you get this option, and you're changing the amplifier portion of a rig. Now, you can search from rigs, and it says browse amplifier module from rigs. Now, on my Kemper, I have 939, okay? Now, at the top, there's a soft button that says from rigs. That should be lit up, but if you hit from presets, what do you see? Well, here are the built-in... Here are the first eight that were built into the Kemper that are still in the Kemper. I'm not just talking about rigs they added later to the factory content, like Michael Britt stuff or, or whatever. These are the eight right here that Cliff is talking about. Let me ask you a question. Okay, here's what it says. Blackstone, Max Taunt, Fan Lux 58, GT75. We know what amps these are. Mebo, Still, Neto. This is a this is a Mesa Boogie Dual Rectifier. This is a Marshall uh, JMP 50 watt. This is a GT, a Groove Tube 75. I don't know what Robots Gainy is. Blackstone is a... Um, Blackstone, I don't... I don't. It's a... It's a what's it called? A, a black... Blackstone. Is that an amp? I can't remember. Anyway, it's the these are the amps. They're just the, the pre-installed ones that were built in at the beginning of the Kemper. And now they're in, and that says, browse amplifier local preset. So these are just amp portions that are in the Kemper. And they probably do correlate to a rig. But they're different than these eight, which you add in the rig pool. So, so it's a, but my point is why, why, my point is this is, this is the type of thing that always gets said or that things get said. And I always hear people going to me, well, Cliff says this as though Cliff is an expert on the Kemper. Cliff is not an expert on the Kemper. And again, nothing against Cliff. I'm, I, I sound like I'm anti-axe or something. I have used the axe. I li really like the axe. I really, it's an, it's an amazing piece of gear. It sounds incredible. It is great. Nothing against the axe. I'm on team digital. I don't make anything for the axe right now. I don't own an axe. I have had an AX8. I do plan to get an, an, an axe three. Um, everything I've heard from it has been incredible. Cliff makes an incredible product. Why he feels the need to comment on other people's products and then say something in error like that, because then what it does to me is this, is I get in the position where someone then asks me a question, what I think about this. And if I know it's wrong, I have to say, no, that's not right. So that's all I'm saying is the Kemper does not have eight default 
uh, uh, profile, uh, eight default um, uh, models that it then tone matches to. That's actually what Cliff has done with the axe. He has tone matching in his where he where they have this tone match thing where it picks which which uh, model you want to use that which is closest, and then it it does a an EQ that's going to apply to it and shift where it is. Right, so it's tone matching. You can add a tone matching block. I was just talking with some guy about this, um, who I'm not going to say his name, uh, uh, but anyway, um, he was using the accent. We were talking about tone matching. We were talking about how it works in Fab Filter. We were talking about how it works on the axe, and we were saying, "Oh, yeah, listen, that's a great way to achieve an end result. That's going to be a very close." version of a real amp in real life. That's a good way to go about it. You've built a bunch of models that, um, that are highly, highly accurate to, you know, a Morgan or a Marshall or whatever. And then someone shows up with their amp similar to a Morgan, but it's not a Morgan, but it has many of the same characteristics because it's either based off that Morgan or it's based off the AC 30 or the AC 15 that that Morgan may have been inspired by. And so changing the EQ Ch- uh, changing some internal compression and 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 settings it's going to be that's going to get you there so that's a great product that's an that is an incredible way but but my, all that to say is this you can't you can't go this is one approach and then look at other approaches and go that's just that's just the same approach that i'm doing but but hidden or masking itself no it's not you know it's not you know i know how many models are in the kemper one there's one model in the Kemper. You know how you know how you can test that? Go. Let me ask you a question. Which model is being pulled up when we do these acoustic guitar presets? Which model is being pulled up when we're cloning uh, an API? Because there's all sorts of bass amp uh, DIs. There's all sorts of people are shooting um, APIs, Neves, and they come out. And they don't sound anything like a guitar amplifier. What, Kemper thought of this and they've decided we're going to, uh, Kemper thought of this and then we're going to, we're going to make sure that we have some model in there that works. No, there's one model. It's a different thing. It's a different approach. I hope whatever Cliff has, this is my honest to goodness uh, hope. I hope whatever Cliff has, that he gets his patent for, that he's wildly successful so that I can go buy an axe and I can start capturing stuff on the axe. This is my point. I'm, I want to be the capture guy. I want to be at least a big part of the capture profile community. So now I'm, I'm moving more into IRs. I'm doing more IRs. I'm working on some IRs today, later on today, which I hope to have out really soon. I'm sorry. I've been a little behind on the IRs. You can use those on the axe. You can use those everywhere. Are you going to be able to use them on the neural? Yes. So I'm hanging on to all these amps because I'm rooting for everybody. I'm rooting for uh, Cliff at Axe. I hope that he rolls out an update with the Axe 3 where all of a sudden we can capture amps to a super high degree. I hope that Neural gives us some capture tech, but Kemper ain't going anywhere. Because have you freaking played a Kemper? It is amazing. And now they got the cab. Honestly, my experience with the Kemper and the cab has just been... I love that thing. I mean, I really love that thing. I cannot get enough of that Kemper cab. It is stellar, fantastic, oh my gosh, beautiful, awesome. It's incredible. 
I'm in love with that Kemper cab. So that's um that's where I'm at. Knickknack, paddywhack, give a dog a bone. You get what I'm saying? I am rooting for everybody in the capture world. You know who I'm not rooting for, actually? I'm not really rooting for more. I don't know, just something about it. It all seems, that all seems a little, just because I'm skeptical. But you know what? If they wrote the tech, maybe I will root for more. But it's a two-part thing, man. You got to get the community behind you. You got to get a community going. You got to get people on board. Um, you know, there was another plugin that, that people were into and, um, um, look, let me put it this way. Uh, who's the, been the best Kemper salesman in the world? It's myself or Michael Britt. I'm just, uh, that has to be true. I have gotten more emails from people. We have, we have sold a lot of Tone Junkie loaded Kempers. Now I don't make a mint off the Tone Junkie Kempers. Let me explain this to you. So let me explain what's, what goes on with that. British Audio is a dealer. They are a dealer and they also are a service center for Kemper. So Kemper really likes British Audio. They have a very good relationship. Broken Kempers go to British Audio. They can fix them. British Audio can fix anything. They can rebuild amps. They can do all sorts of stuff. Where I... What I see is... Okay, let me not jump three steps ahead there. British audio can fix anything. They fix Kempers. So because of that, they have a really good relationship with Kemper. They're also a dealer. Um, They got set up, you know, as a dealer and it was a whole thing. It was like, hey, we can be a service center. And I think it was really more, I don't know how the conversation started, but they became a service center and a dealer at the same time. And it became, hey, this makes sense. Nashville's a big market. We we need a real store to really represent the Kemper because the Guitar Center in Nashville was one of the highest grossing Kemper stores for Guitar Centers, but they don't even have the Kemper like set up in the room half the time. So I got, I started supporting British audio when I met those guys, they were really awesome. They, I saw how great they were and I started using them for the amp services and I just became friends with the guy Shane there and, uh, and with all those guys and they've been great. And, uh, at the end of the day, it's sort of like, at the end of the day, it's like this. A store, stores are tough. Okay, this is what, let me cut to the chase. It's tough to be a store right now. And British Audio is a music store. They've got a showroom you can go into, you can check out some gear. I don't know what they, how much of their revenue is, is repairs compared to the front gear stuff, but the reason they get traffic into the store is because they have this, this repair center in Nashville that's very well known and very good. So you get a lot of people coming in. So they're going to sell stuff. They're going to sell Kempers. They're going to sell Orange Amps. They're going to sell Marshall stuff. They're going to sell all sorts of things. What's interesting is um, how many Kempers they've started moving and they've sort of become a a Kemper destination uh, because they've really gotten behind it. And it's like people coming in you know, repairing their amps and stuff. But what I'm, what I'm noticing, and, and, and I say all this to say this, uh, I say all that to say this, you, there's margin on these products. Okay. But there's still a store. 
and they're selling a lot online, but they still got to ship it. They still got to get it in. They still got to. And so when I come along and I go, let me help you push this product. We'll put an entire everything pack with it. I got to eat too. You get what I'm saying? I got to get a little bit, but there's not a huge margin in there. So when you buy a Tone Junkie loaded Kemper, I just, I'm trying to be, I know I sound like I'm being like coded languages because I want to be respectful to Shane. I don't want to put out numbers about his business or whatever. But I'm telling you this, go buy a Tone Junkie loaded Kemper. I want you to do that. But I view that as a buy-in of a long-term relationship with me and you the listener, the customer, whatever. I want you to get so many great profiles right off the bat. I want you to get addicted to Tone Junkie that you'll consider buying more packs that I create in the future. Because what I make off those packs is what I make off that um, off that Tone Junkie loaded Kemper is is not a, an amount I'm scoffing at. I'm very happy with, with what we can do, what I'm able to do with Shane. But you got to understand we're limited in how much Tone Junkie can get for that everything pack that they're selling because Shane is limited in how much margin he's got because he's got to pay real money to get this expensive unit. He's got a lot of cash tied up, right? That's the challenge of a physical goods business, especially one that does high dollar items like amplifier and guitar sales. It takes a lot of cash. It's a cash intensive business. If you got... If even if you got 50%, 60% margin on this stuff, you still got the overhead of your shop. You still got 50% margin and you're talking about units that are selling for 2000 bucks, 1500 bucks. So you still got to go sink in a grand. Now I don't I'm telling I'm saying those numbers because I don't know the actual numbers. I don't know what dealer cost is on this stuff. But what I'm saying is in terms of actual numbers, um it's it's you got to understand it's it's there's not a ton of room. I can't make every. I can't make a full what I would make on the everything pack, right? So I'm not. It's not as lucrative for me to sell an everything pack through a Tone Junkie loaded Kemper as it is to me through just the website. And that's why at first we didn't even do everything packs. We did this this selection. But I wanted to up it because I'm I'm going. No, you know what? Long term thinking. I want to get people all the tones they want. I appreciate that they're probably watching and and that they're supporting the channel. And if they want to buy a Tone Junkie Loaded Kemper as their first Kemper or upgrade, let's just do it. Let's just let's just form a relationship f- for life. Because wherever Capture Tech goes, Tone Junkie's going to go there, right? So I'm hanging on to these amps because I'm waiting. I'm going, Cliff, please invent the next greatest thing. Inve- I don't believe it's going to replace the Kemper, but if you're going to make Axe even better, well, I want to help and be a part of that community too. I want to be a part of the overall IR community. I appreciate that Strymon shared a video about the Tone Junkie IRs and how they're being used on the Strymon. I want to, I think if, if Strymon wants to make a modeling pedal and have IRs come out, great. I want to support the digital community. I'm a Kemper guy. I'm a Kemper evangelist. I love the thing. Kemper hasn't given me any money. They have given me a t- some t-shirts, some pics, some promotional material. They've shared a lot of my content and, uh, and I was gifted um, a Kemper from them. I was gifted a Kemper. But you know when I was gifted that Kemper? 
two months ago, three months. I mean, like, so it definitely wasn't the free Kemper that won me over. And what they gifted me was that white Kemper. And I, I, I so appreciate that. I so appreciate that. Thank you to everybody at Kemper for that. Um, and, and it's why I just, you know, I, I'm lucky enough to be in a spot where, um, the bills are paid. I was able to make a transition to do this full time. Has there been ups and downs? Yes. Have sales sometimes gotten slow? Yes. Has the coronavirus affected the business here? Yes. But you, hey, I got, I got lights and a roof and I can pay my taxes and my kids are fine. They're in school and I never been happier. Never been happier. Never worked more in my life. Never been happier. Now you want to get into the real thing where I where I realize I I do need to take a, a look at myself, and um, this is where we'll just transition to some totally not guitar stuff. But let me just wrap that last thing up. I am rooting for um, for Doug at Neural. I'm rooting for Cliff at Axe. I hope everyone is wildly successful. I really do. I'm rooting for the amp manufacturers. I'm rooting for for Christoph and the whole Kemper team. I think Kemper is the best unit out there in terms of real amplifier sound and whatever. But what is the piece of gear every guitar player should own or should seriously consider owning? It's an HX Stomp. What that thing does, because it has so many effects, because it's modular and goes into your pedal board, it the modeling is 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 good. Uh, you put it with the right IR and you get very good. You, you put on delay and reverb on top of that, and I think for something like a worship style of music, you're more than enough all the way there. And that's the reality of the situation. That's not putting anything down. It's just understanding that if you have a... Th- 50% mix on your reverb, half your sound's the reverb. So the reverb becomes just as important as the amplifier at that point. So that's why you that's why no worship players and look, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but that's that's why no worship players go, I just play a Les Paul into a Marshall. Is that tone bad? Does that mean a Marshall's not a good amp? Or does that mean a, a Vox AC30, straight into a Vox AC30 is not a good amp? No. But it means for this style, the reverb is so important that that amp is disqualified from being the only piece of gear you need. So the HX Stomp actually, it's because because in worship music, an amp is not the only gear piece of gear you need. If the weak spot is some of the amps, but it loads IRs that can be awesome and it loads great effects that are awesome, well then actually it's awesome. Now, and, and when you put that all together, you actually end up with a the sum of a tone that's like indistinguishable from, from a $5,000 setup. And it's cheap. And it's small. You could use it as an all-in-one or you could put it. So it's, it's, the, it's the greatest piece of gear anyone's ever come out with. That's my honest opinion. The HX Tom is the greatest piece of gear. Not in terms of the modeling. Not in terms of just the reverbs by itself. Not in terms of delay. But in terms of the functionality, what it offers, at what price, um, with the thing. It's the, it's the, it's, 
It, it deserves car and driver best car of the year. Does that mean I want to go buy one? Well, yes, I, I do want one. But does that mean I'm going to sell my Ferrari Enzo to get one? Well, hell no. I mean, because <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Hell no. <laughs> it's not. It, no, that's not what that means. You know, um, the HX stop, look, I'll say the HX stop could be the Model 3, the Tesla Model 3 of the amp world. Is it the fastest car that even Tesla makes? No. Would I like to have a Roadster instead? Yes. But listen, the Model 3 is very practical. It, I love the way it looks. It's super fun to drive. Would it be fun, fun to go zero to, to 60 in 1.9 seconds? Yes. Does my Model 3 do it in about five seconds? Yes. Will it beat most, most Mustangs, most stock Mustangs right off the lot in a, in, in a quarter mile? Yes. Does it take no gas? Yes. Is the is the interior, do I love it? Yes. Would I, pref, would I trade my Model 3 right now for a Roadster? Absolutely. But the Roadster's 200 grand. My Model 3 was 39 five or something without tax incentives. I think it was 39. No, no. How much did my model three cost? My model three might've been 40 one or 42. It could have been 43. I can't remember, but look, that was before I got to write off the, um, you know, the, uh, 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 the, the, the 7,500 in taxes. So I, w and I was going to pay more than that in taxes. I am going to pay it. I haven't paid my taxes for the last year yet for, for, cause they've, they've delayed it all. Uh, so you take that's money I would have spent. So for me, I'm going to take that right off the top. So now my model three is 35 grand. If I get a roadster for 35, I would have gotten that instead. If I get a Model S, I might have gotten that instead. If I could have got an X, I might have gotten that instead. I don't know. I'm not saying I, I, I might still have gone with a three over the X, but whew, it, it it's the so that so the HX stop might be the Model Three, the Tesla Model Three. So there you go. We've gone about an hour, so I'm not going to do it in this podcast, but um, I am going to do a podcast with some things I've, I've, I've realized about myself and um, some things that I need to do differently re regarding social distancing, the coronavirus, coming up on all that stuff. Because I made some statements about it that I, th that I, I still stand behind. They were accurate. I, I never said anything that was inaccurate. But my perspective walking into this is different than my perspective now having been through a little bit of it. Does that make sense? So I want to clarify some things. I want to I want to get out there and um I want to clarify some things and uh and and not even clarify some things. I, nothing I said do I regret or anything. I actually just want to <coughs> I want to elaborate and let you guys know about some of the next things I realized about myself and some of the driving motivators behind my personality and why I reacted the way I did because I caught myself doing some virtue signaling and maybe not being as empathetic towards certain people as I should have been. 
We'll get into that on, on a future podcast. But this, my friends, has been episode 83. Did Uncle Willie forget? To, Uncle Willie, is your mic muted? Ah, uh, Jonathan, I've been I've been talking about I've been talking about the coronavirus the whole time. I've been talking about uh, that this ain't real, man. Like, it's a government conspiracy. They try to they try to take my social security. They try to take my social security. Ah, uh, no, no. Yeah, it's about the it's about the money. Jonathan is about the money. You gonna finish that chitlin right there? You gonna finish? You can have it, Uncle Willie. I'm I'm, I'm done with it. Oh, that. <laughs> Jonathan, we got to end the podcast. All right. We're going to end it right now. Thank you so much to British Audio. Um, today's um, today's podcast is, of course, brought to you by the Tone Junkie Loaded Kemper from British Audio. Uh, as always, you can get a Tone Junkie Loaded Kemper exclusively at British Audio. They're great guys. They've got cabs. And um, we're gonna we're working on some new power amps right now that we're going to be recommending, hopefully this weekend. And um, Let's let's do it, guys. Let's bada bing, bada boom. Let's get out there and uh, let's make some great tone. The social distancing, forty percent off sale, still going. And podcast listeners, look out! I may be doing some stuff Thursday night, and maybe some. I might start doing some Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday night specials that I don't advertise everywhere. Last night we did a very special thing on the Everything Pack. It really. It really is going to help get a certain pack going. It's a certain Holy Grail amp that I need to acquire. And it really, doing a really, like a flash sale, it helped uh, about 20 people get the everything pack at a really incredible price. And I need that money to put a dent in the money I need to acquire this Holy Grail amp because I'm looking to do something that is going to blow away the Kemper universe. That's, that's the truth. I am trying to create the thing where no expense is spared, nothing nothing is spared, no amount of detail. You're going to say when you see this you're going to say I didn't need I didn't need you to capture it this thoroughly. I didn't need you to go all these lengths. But I'm glad you did. But I'm so glad you did, HW. Jonathan, it's going to be great. Oh, I'm so excited. It's a not Uncle Willie, don't say the name of the amp. I can't excite it. I want to tell people. Uncle Willie, please. I'm lucky no one can understand you, Uncle Willie. Come on. <laughs> uh, no, but I, I, I have a plan. And I've really been thinking about what, how can I make this, how can I really make sure that every part of this, from the amp to the tubes to the speakers, everything is just going to be a thorough, thorough covering of a plethora of tones through history, of a plethora of artists. How can I make sure that we take this thing and make sure we cover everyone's voice through it, sparing no expense to make sure we get the authentic, the right, the period correct speakers, the the alternating, you know, it was used with this speaker and that speaker and this style cabin, that style cabin. How do we make sure we get all the tubes that we need? How do we do everything? How do we get different mic offerings and different preamp offerings to make sure we pull everything out? How do we be thorough and how do we even... Make it specific for, I want to, with this one pack, I want to venture into, 
here's some profiles that we specifically thought would work with this style and strats in mind. And here's something that we thought would work with this style and humbuckers and rock in mind. And here's why the settings were different. And here's how we chose not to approximate them. We did approximate them, so we did give you the standard stuff that we always give you. But we wanted to give you very specialized things with subtle differences, subtle mic technique. I'm going to make the pack that I tell everyone, judge me by this. Judge it. Download it. Check out the free stuff. There's going to be a lot of free stuff from this. A lot. Because... Because what I make here and the pack is going to be so exhaustive. Guys, I've been creating a library of tone. This is going to be a mini library in itself. People say I can't get through the everything pack. You're not going to get through this. In a year, you're still going to be discovering new ways to use. And everything, everything dialed in to perfection with intentionality. Is that a word? Yes. With in- it's not. It's not. Intentionality is not a word. I hate when people do this. Intent. Shut up if you say intentionality. It's not a word. You, you, what you're doing is you're saying the word is intention. It's with intention. But what you're doing is you're trying to say you want, you're not, you're being intentional, but now you want to change the part of speech back to what intention would be. And you're saying intentionality. It's, you don't need all that intention. I want to do it with intention. I want to be intentional with intentionality. <laughs> HW, I, I, I didn't know that word. That's why when you plural, octopodes. Uncle Willie, have a smoke, man. You're worked up. And. I, Uncle Willie right there just turned into almost Donald Duck, right? I mean, <laughs> oh my gosh, I just heard a loud bang above me. One of my kids has maybe gone through the floor. Um, I heard this loud bang last night. Side note, I heard this loud bang last night, and I was, I almost got up and grabbed my gun. And then my wife said, calm down. It was one of the kids. And it was about half hour after their bedtime, and they had gone to bed. And we thought they were asleep. So we have these nest cameras in my um, in my son's rooms, and um, they're kind of left over from when they were younger. They're my older one. I don't know. They're kind of at the age where I, I'm thinking about should we remove the nest cameras? You know, do, do they? They're not really baby monitors anymore. But stuff like this is what I like to find out. My youngest son decided to get up, and you know, kids they just get up with some excuse, and they think there's something in their head they can say that's like going to justify, like, why are you awake right now? Why are you out of bed? And they're like, oh well, they're well, I remember that blah blah blah. It's like, oh okay, you remember this? Well okay. It's like, no, get back to bed. There's we never. When have you ever come up with an excuse that it, that we let you get out of bed and just stay up? So I don't know if you can hear that bang, but it just happened again. So my my kids. I, I, we looked on the camera. I went back and looked. My son, when he started getting out of his bed, we flipped his bed over. He's got one of these Ikea beds that is like, um, if you put it, when the bed's on the bottom, you can put the mattress on it and then you can, it has like a loft or not a loft. It's got like a cover you can get. So it's like, there's like, um, you know, it's like a structure kind of, you know, you could put this top, this lid on the bed, this top, you know, and then it's like he has like a little roof and he can shoot a flashlight up there and stuff. But if you flip it over, now it's an upstairs bunk bed and he's got space to play underneath too. 
Well, so I look on the camera and it looks like he started to get out of bed and then decided, no, I don't want to do that. I want to stand on my bed and get a running jump and jump onto the floor, which we've told him not to do repeatedly. So he, exactly what he did, he just stood on the top, went to the wall on one side, and then ran and jumped off the edge of the bed. And I was like, whoa! And, um, man, I mean, he just, (laughs) he just took off. He just took off, man. He just took off, and it was, uh, it was, it was, okay. All right, we get it. We see that. He just... You're insane, and you just jumped this whole distance and this whole thing, and just created the biggest boom, you know. And uh, I thought someone was breaking in. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want anyone to get in here and uh, you know steal my 335. Anyway, I'm gonna sell one at 335s. We'll get into that. We'll get into that. We'll do another episode of the podcast. I'll try and record later tonight. But I'm gonna get this up right now. This has been episode 83. Thank you so much for listening to the Tone Junkie Podcast. Elvis is on the show. Jonathan and the podcast. All right, Uncle Willie. Thanks so much, HW and Uncle Willie. Uncle Willie, out.